We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Hey all, welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Home gives me life, you guys. It's perfect weather for hammock napping, hiking, fishing, camping, stargazing, Plus, hunting season is upon us. Uh, I do have to give a shout out to a previous SGO guest and Kansas State Parks Director, Linda Lannerman, because my partner and I camped with my family out at Cheney Lake a couple weekends ago. Um, that's out in central Kansas, kind of around the Wichita area. We had the most wonderful time. There was such a variety of campsites to choose from, whether you're kind of a woodsy camper or more um, drawn to those water sites. Um, we got to camp back in the woods, and I really enjoyed that. We also found the coolest little like nature viewing boardwalk that led to this secret beach. I had no idea, you know, we live like within 10 minutes of that lake and I had no idea this little nature viewing boardwalk even existed. So just had to give Linda a shout out and her team out at Cheney Lake, Cheney State Park. Um, we had an absolute blast. We saw stunning monarch butterflies, heard some very outspoken owls, including screech owls. And uh, we nearly hiked our dogs to death. So it was a fantastic time out in nature, but I'm happy to be reunited with Julia today and yet another awesome guest. Yay, I am so excited to be recording again. So listeners, if, if you're a She Goes Outdoors enthusiast and longtime follower, you may remember our guest from last year's series. Jen Rader joined us to share some birding tips and chat about the history of Christmas bird count. Uh, we're not quite time for Christmas again. We're going to talk about a different season because, you know, birding is year round. And sometimes we forget that, oh, you can do a lot of birding and learn about birds even this time of year. So we are excited to invite her back to the mic once again to chat with us about birds, this time about fall migration. So welcome back, Jen. Thanks for having me, ladies. Well, we're glad you could join us. And Jen, for our listeners that maybe didn't get to meet you the first time around, can you tell us a little bit about your background in birding, um, your position with KDWP, and maybe your position within the birding world as well? For KDWP, I'm uh, the director of the Southeast Kansas Nature Center, which is located in Cherokee County, so the very southeast corner of the state and naturalist background. So I like all things nature and outdoor related, um, but bird been a part of life for a long time. Um, started bird watching probably before I could actually remember because uh, my dad got into it when I was a baby. So that's um, where all of it started. So I've been interested in birds my entire life. And then went to school at Fort Hayes um, and did biodiversity and conservation biology. And of course, loved my ornithology class, you know, have always had an interest in it. And currently I sit as the vice president of the Kansas Ornithological Society. So one of the statewide organizations dedicated to birds in the state. Well, that's awesome, Jen. I'm glad you're available to lend some of your knowledge and enthusiasm to us today. 
Um, I have to take a minute to brag on you a little bit that our listeners have heard me fangirl over a couple guests and Jen, you are definitely one of them. You are such a wealth of knowledge and you are so, so involved, whether that's in the R3 community with recruitment, retention and reactivation efforts, um, obviously within the birding community and just within the education realm as well. So I really admire you and appreciate all that you do and just had to give you a shout out there. Well, thanks, Tina. Moving on a little bit into our topic today. So we're going to talk about fall bird migration. And like Julia mentioned, birding is a year-round activity. But um, as Jen is likely going to talk about a little bit later in our podcast today, birds act differently and are doing different things in different times of the year. So um, we wanted to get some insight from Jen into what that fall migration looks like and maybe even get some birding tips on the best places to go or best time to look for birds in the fall. So Jen, this probably seems so basic, but how do we define migration for birds? Like, is there a certain distance that a bird has to travel to become a migrant species or to be considered migrating? Actually, no, there's really a a huge range of what, you know, different species, you know, some don't go very far at all. Um, In fact, they're really only migrating between altitudes in, in a mountain range only, you know, changing maybe a couple thousand feet from the bottom part of the mountain and then going up. What really defines migration is any population of animals that's moving regularly in a year, basically. So very seasonal related, or they're always going to do this, this movement at a certain time of the year, every year. So it's more about the regularity of their movement um, to a different place as opposed to distances. The sky is filled in the, in the spring, at least in Nebraska, we see the skies more filled in the spring as far as what we can see headed north. And I guess I have, it's in my opinion, I have a hard time noticing migrations that are happening in the fall. So it's really good that we're having this conversation and we're making everyone aware that uh, what's going on and and why. But not all birds, I guess, in my my sight, leave or migrate. Can you give us an idea of like what birds migrate and and perhaps which what don't? There isn't necessarily going to be, um, you know, easy, ways to follow that. Each family group of birds are, there's going to be some that may be non-migratory and then some that do migrate. And there's, you know, lots of variations in migration. So some of them may actually be a little bit more nomadic and typically we wouldn't consider them migratory, but they may, you know, occasionally do that. Um, So there's, you know, it's very nuanced, but in the birds that we, we think about that are, are migratory versus non-migratory, um, some of the ones that stick out the most with people are waterfowl. They're big. They, they go in big numbers. Um, so those are an easy one to think of as a migratory bird. But then when you're talking about non-migratory, these are birds that are able to find the resources that they need any time of year, wherever they are. So, and birds that are good examples of that, that most people are familiar with are Northern Cardinals. Uh, That's a really good one. Um, Carolina wrens, chickadees. 
some species of woodpeckers. Those are typically birds that don't migrate. There are migratory owls, but a good chunk of the owls that we have in North America are not migratory. You know, just a little bit of both, pretty much in each family group of birds. That's really cool, Jen. I guess I never thought about owls, like what owls do in the winter. You don't tend to hear them as much, but obviously maybe they're not like calling to each other. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Um, Definitely will have to do with, you know, courtship and, you know, each species is a little bit different too, but yeah, there's some that, you know, blue jays are another one that people kind of consider most of the time not being migratory, but they actually will migrate, but it's maybe just a few hundred miles as opposed to thousands. That's really interesting. So what are the factors that drive that migration, Jen? Is that like temperature based or is it just kind of an internal clock that they go off of? How does that work? Um, There's really a lot going on. And of course, migration, basically the reason for doing it is, is resource. And the two primary things that, that drive wanting to go through all that trouble is to find food and then also nesting. So those are the the primary reasons to do it. Birds have instincts. A lot of species, they actually don't follow the adults that, you know, they were with. They make those journeys uh, on their own and it's instinct. They're paying attention to cues from the sun. So this time of year, we notice that too. The sun faster during the day, so it's darker, quicker. A lot of different animals use those cues to change things. Same with, you know, any animal that hibernate. They're going to do the same kind of thing. As the days get shorter, that's something that they're paying attention to. You know, going to be following insect that depending on what they eat you know, all kinds of different factors are in play. A lot of people kind of assume that these birds, the cold weather, for instance, but most of them can handle freezing temperatures, but they, they depending on what they eat, you know, is, is a totally different thing. Their food is not going to be available winter. That's what's driving them, not necessarily temperature. A lot of conversation right now going on about uh, climate change. And we are recognizing differences in landmark, differences in weather. Are these migration drivers and pathways being affected by climate change at all? Uh, There are obviously several things um, that we've noticed. And so folks who duck hunt, that's a perfect example. You know, they're seeing changes in when open seasons begin and end because each year, you know, these birds are migrating um, in a fairly reliable seasonal change. But as climate change comes into play, we're seeing the data, especially when people start seeing the first of these birds coming through, they're, you know, showing up like a week earlier and it's being consistent like that. So those things are changing. Another good example of of the climate change affecting how these birds are are moving around. Um, You know, we've had severe droughts and fires and things like that going on in the West. And so that's moved a lot of species into different flies flyway zones and and things like that. So um, some birds are going to do well with climate change, you know, a, a general warming and others are not. Big weather events that are, you know, more severe or longer lasting or cover 
a broader range of, of the United States, those affect where these birds can go. So there's definitely that we're already noticing, you know, that have to do with the, the climate. That's so fascinating. And Jen, you brought up a really uh, interesting point about waterfowl specifically, uh, because when we, when our biologists design our regulations for hunting, for waterfowl hunting specifically, they're trying to balance out those factors of like what's going on on the biological end versus what our hunting constituency and our other constituents might want as far as um, when those birds are coming through and when people might have access to them, whether that be for viewing or hunting, et cetera. So um, it's a really, really difficult balance, especially as those conditions can change and fluctuate. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. They're definitely a group that sees those changes immediately, you know, 30 years ago, they might have had a slightly different time to go, you know, teal hunt or, or whatever. So how far do birds typically travel in a migration? Is there like a longest recorded bird migration on the books? Or um, like you said, blue jays tend to be a lot more local. Yeah. At all. There is a species that's famous for having the, the longest, and that's the Arctic tern. And generally, on average, they have an 11,000 trip one-way one mile. They've been recorded a round trip almost 60,000 miles. So from one pole to the, the other. So really long distance. And then <laughs> I believe it's the dusky grouse um, that's in you know, the Northern Rocky Mountains have, I believe they have the shortest, like they may be in the Guinness Book of World Records for the shortest. And they barely get a thousand feet, I think. And they're just changing from a uh, mountain range. You know, they move uh, further down or go further up. And so that's all, that's all they do. So that's, they're definitely short distance migratory. So, but in general, what there's over 650 species in North America and over half of those are going to be migratory birds, roughly 10,000 species of birds that exist and over half of those worldwide are migratory. And generally most of them are, you know, going several hundred, several thousand miles. Wow. So what I'm learning from that is if I were to come back and be reincarnated as a bird, I really want to be a dusky grouse and not an Arctic tern. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have very far to go at all. Perfect. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so do you have any uh, fall birding tips for our listeners? You know, best practices in the fall contain certain, be- certain behaviors to look for. Um, you know, like color variations, just give it to us all. Give us some head, some uh, words of wisdom as to what we can look for. Well, so with migratory birds, obviously most of the species you get a chance if they don't stay in Kansas or Nebraska or Iowa, um, they are coming through in the spring and in the fall. Uh, Spring, there is a larger sense of urgency. They want to get to their breeding location quickly. So those birds are, it's a little bit uh, more fast paced. So if you actually want to see quite a few birds and have a little more time to do it, the fall migration is the better time. They're more likely to stick around in places. um, And so it's easier to see these large number of birds. 
And of course, my favorite fall migratory bird is probably the sandhill cranes. Um, just an amazing primordial bird sound and just love seeing all the numbers come through. And so trying to get to a place where the sandhill cranes are going to be utilizing, you know, like the marshes or riverbeds, those kinds of places, those are going to be just phenomenal fall migratory uh, birding opportunities. So, you know, Kansas uh, going to Cheyenne Bottoms or Quivira National Wildlife Refuge, those are really great places to be, you know, October all the way through December, basically. Like I said, it's, it's moving slower this time of year, um, so you have better opportunities. Obviously, if birds are going to get a good south wind that's going to push them south, then they're probably going to take off. But if winds are not favorable flying south, then you've got a, a chance to see some of these large numbers of birds go through. And a lot of species migrate at night. Others, you know, do migrate during the day, but some of the best times are to go out in the morning shortly before sunrise and hanging out in the morning and then in the evening right before sunset is another great time to see just really big numbers in any of the places and there are things that are called migrant traps um, kind of small habitat spaces um, you know if a weather event or something brings all these birds down that are migrating um, because it's not favorable for them to to go through at that time. They'll come down into these places and you can see just amazing numbers of birds because, you know, it's not good for them to fly right now. And so there are some hot spots basically that you can look for. Um, eBird's a fantastic tool for that. So you can kind of be prepared that there might be some good migratory bird action going on. So yeah, Jen, that's really interesting you say that because I was thinking before our call today about um, I've got family that farms out around the Great Bend, Kansas area. You know, this time of year in both Kansas, Nebraska and Iowa, there's uh, some harvest going on, which I imagine birds as they're flying through might stop and um, picket corn or milo or something like that on their way through. So would that be another like really unique opportunity to see something if you had access to an area like that? Yes, absolutely. And for you uh, mentioning that too, obviously some of the birds that we we think of, you know, that first come to mind are, are birds like waterfowl, um, the ducks and geese, but another bird species that migrates that's prone to follow farming equipment is actually the Swainson's hawk. And they kettle in these huge flocks. And as a matter of fact, I think um, there's probably big numbers of them have already arrived in Texas this past week. They like to pick off any of the animals that get stirred up from, you know, uh, fields being disked or if, if somebody's burning a field, they'll go and, and pick off animals. So that's a, that's a good point, Tana. There's, there's lots of little opportunities like that um, where you can see some phenomena um, with all those huge numbers of birds going through. That's so fascinating. What a like cool, unintentional symbiotic relationship there between humans and hawks. <laughs> you are definitely a wealth of knowledge on birding and just a lot of great tips for us to follow. One thing that I struggle with some is identification. Yeah. So what do you suggest as far as, um, 
gear or literature or what would you suggest to our listeners that would help identify fall migration or even, you know, year-round birding? Yeah, well, obviously, one of the, the best things to have in, in your, you want to, to actually get a good pair of binoculars. And of course, having field guides is really important. And there's, I do a combination of uh, books, field guides, and then app that you can get on your phone. So the Sibley guide is a fantastic uh, bird reference guide and National Geographic's got a good one. The Sibley has an app that you can purchase for your phone and it's really handy because it also has recordings of bird songs and calls. So studying that kind of information is also really important. But one of the best things that you can do is to actually go out with other bird watchers that have been around for a while and get some mentorship. That's one of the best ways to, to learn about this is to, to practice and and be out in the field. So yeah, those are some great points, Jen. And I have to check out that Sibley app. So I have the Audubon app on my phone. And I mentioned before that we were able to identify those screech owls when we were camping out at Cheney Lake. And so I use that Audubon app to listen to those bird calls. And that's basically um, how we how we decided that that's what those were. So, and I, this screech owl sound really weird, right, Jen? <laughs> yes, they, and they don't screech really. They have more of a, a whinny and a trill, but they're yeah. an interesting, interesting bird for sure. Anyone who's just starting out, a really good app is the Merlin app that's put together by the same folks who do eBird and the Cornell uh, University. The Merlin app is uh, fantastic for people just starting out. So it's going to ask you to look for kind of some specific things and, you know, comparing size. So if you're familiar with how big a robin is, those kinds of things. And they that app helps you narrow down birds so that you can you know, learn how to identify those using the references. So it's a fantastic starting out point. Well, perfect. We'll have to drop the links for those um, when we post our episode today. But Jen, while you were talking, I looked up um, an audio file of that Winnie and Trill, like you mentioned with the screech owls. I'm yeah. going to try to play it and see if it'll come through for our listeners. <laughs> Did that come through? Yeah such a weird sound and yeah Jen like you said it's a uh, when you hear screech owl basically the only reason we figured out that it was a screech owl is because we had eliminated every other owl species <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah well, they, cool. they're fun and so cute <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well we'll definitely keep all of those different apps in mind and check those out that'll be a great resource and I feel like the fall with the sounds of fall are different than spring and just hearing that screech owl, I feel like they're going to hear it more this time of year than in the spring. Air tends to be full of all kinds of songbirds in the spring where fall, there's just certain prominent birds that stick out. And so that's pretty cool that we can discover all these different ways of enjoying birds in, in the fall season. So Jen, these birds are traveling sometimes extraordinary distances. And I can't imagine the energy output that requires. 
I'm curious how our listeners can help birds along their migration. Um, if there's a certain type of food we can or should put out, or if there's anything that we can do to help make sure these birds can migrate safely. Yes, uh, migratory birds definitely are, you know, putting themselves at high risk to make that decision to go somewhere else. Running into buildings is a huge problem. And of course, habitat loss is a really big thing. There's quite a few things that people can do. Of course, it's fun for any of us who enjoy birds to have them come to feeders. So if you put a feeder out, um, that's, that's a big one. And so you can help birds, especially if they've been traveling uh, without stopping for quite some time, by giving them, you know, that reprieve if you've got feeders out and uh, water source in your yard or something like that. And probably the best, you know, all around food to put out is a black oil sunflower seed. It's going to have a, a good fat content for them. So that's a, a great one to, to get a hold of and have on hand. And saying anything about habitat loss, one of the best things that people can do in their own yards is to kind of get rid of that monoculture of just you know, one species of grass and actually have, you know, flower beds and things or kind of a wild space in your yard, you know, some place where the birds can take shelter that's potentially going to have some other food sources. So um, we're all about planting native plants and trees and things like that. And um, having a yard that's more like that instead of just one fescue that's all green and it looks neat, but um, they're not great for wildlife. So that's something really helpful. Other things that you can do, which one of the, the, the cool things that you can look up, it's called bird cast. And you can actually look at migration in real time and they actually will predict when good migration events are going to occur. So because we've been recording the movements of these birds for so long, they've got a pretty good idea of when species are going to start to move or when there's going to be a really good push of birds headed south or, or whatnot. And they have, with that, it's called the Lights Out program. Again, I mentioned bird, a lot of birds migrate at night and all the lights that humans turn on at night, um, especially for birds that uh, are looking for water sources, that kind of mimics a big water source below. And so they get disoriented and end up in a city where there actually isn't the stuff that they need. And they'll, windows and things like that, um, birds don't see windows very well. Um, so making sure that during peak migration times, you actually don't leave porch lights and stuff on all night, that's a huge help. So just remembering to shut your light off. And then, of course, window strikes is another big one. So there's lots of different things that you can do to make sure that the birds are able to see the windows. And that way they, you know, hopefully won't run into them. There's stickers you can put up or just hanging ropes, you know, dangling those down, uh, things like that. And, of course, keeping your cats inside is a big one. Those are predators that really aren't supposed to be out in the wild. They're domestic, so they can cause a lot of problems for, for migratory birds. And of course, lots of other predators do. So again, having, you know, some habitat basically in your yard where they can, can get away, you know, take shelter, that's really helpful. So those are, those are some of the big ones that I can. Those are some great tips, Jen. And I know I've had conversations with your dad before about keeping cats indoors, especially during those peak migration seasons. 
when um, birds might be a little bit fatigued anyway from their travels. And it's Mm -hmm. amazing some of the studies that have come out, the impact that one cat can have on an area's population, be it birds or small rodents. So uh, definitely something to keep in mind and to consider. So Jen, as we're starting to wrap up, the last time you joined us, you taught us about the Christmas bird count. And for those of us who missed it, um, is there any way you could give us like a quick overview of that program? Because it seems like fall would be a really great time to start preparing if you are planning to um, maybe go along on one of those Christmas bird counts. Yes, really quickly, the the Christmas bird counts were something started, I think this is going to be year 121, maybe, that they've been, um, so something Audubon charge with, and basically between mid-December and mid-January, there are Christmas bird counts going on all across the uh, continent, and you have a count circle where for an entire 24-hour period, basically, you're counting uh, every bird that you see in this circle that's roughly 15 miles. Usually what people do is get together in a meeting place somewhere inside the circle and they uh, figure out how many people there's going to be for the whole day and they send the compiler of the Christmas bird count will get all of the volunteers sections that you go out to. And so you might have, you know, this one area that they want you to go count. And then that way we're trying not to uh, count birds in different groups that might be recounted. You know, you don't want to overlap the thing. Um, but, you know, trying to basically cover that entire space. And so they send you out and you'll count birds all day and come back and, and then they compile the results and um, all that information's put out there. And we get, we get so much data from that, um, figuring out how, you know, the populations are doing those kinds of things. So. Yeah. Well, and a really great example of citizen science, which we always like to talk about ways that Um, our listeners can be involved, whether or not they are working within the outdoor industry at all. Um, There's lots of ways you can be involved and give back to wildlife um, and birds specifically, as we're talking about today. So thanks for giving us an overview of that, Jen. Um, If folks are interested in participating in the Christmas bird count, should they reach out to the Kansas Ornithological Society? Should they reach out to Kansas Wildlife and Parks? They can actually do both because um, we we can channel, you know, the networking that goes on in the state with the birding community. Everybody uh, can can help with that to make sure that folks that are interested get the information they need. For Kansas, the Ornithological Society, they help with compilation. And there are actually some uh, Christmas bird counts that aren't Audubon bird counts. And so um, we keep track of that information too. So definitely if you want to know of any state-wide Christmas bird counts going on, Kansas Ornithological Society is, is a good place to get that information. So it's on our website, but you can also contact any of our board members also listed on the the uh, website, or we have a Facebook page too, so you can reach us that way. And I would also suggest that our listeners go back and listen to that episode on the Christmas bird count and kind of catch up to what we've been talking about this episode too. All right, Tana, 
Do you have any further questions for Jen today? I have all the questions for Jen because she has all the answers, but I think that's <laughs> all I've got today. All right. This is cool. A lot of... Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me. It was great oh, to have you. you. Um, do you have any last thoughts for our listeners? If you have any interest or inkling in birds at all, um, definitely get out there and check it out. One of the things that's so great about them, I think maybe it was on NPR or something, they talk about just even hearing bird song is the equivalent of providing the happiness for a person that getting a raise would be. So, you know, it's just good for you to get out there and enjoy the birds. Um, but there's so many people in Kansas that are really bird watching. And if you're interested, definitely uh, reach out to the birding organizations where you're, you're located. Uh, there's probably other state and other local uh, birding groups. So reach out to those people and join. Go out and, and check out the the wonder of bird watching with absolutely well Jen as always it's a pleasure to have you on again thank you for coming back and joining us on the she goes outdoors team um we are we're big big fans of yours and uh to our listeners if you have any follow-up questions for Jen or about our conversation today go ahead and reach out to us on Facebook um, send us a message and we will get you hooked up with Jen's contact information or we'll answer those questions if we can so Jen thanks for joining us Thanks for, sorry about all the internet troubles. Go figure. <laughs> I know it. That's all right. We'll, we'll adapt. We really appreciate it. All right. And She Goes Outdoors listeners, um, you know the drill. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast so that you get all the updates on when we release new episodes. We definitely want to keep you guys in the loop. If you're doing anything fun and exciting in the outdoors this fall, go ahead and throw that up on the Facebook page at the She Goes Outdoors Facebook page. Um, We love seeing what you guys are up to in the outdoors. Uh, Let us know too if you download any of the birding apps and get out for the first time. We definitely want to know what you saw out there and uh, see any of the pictures that you feel like sharing. Julia, anything else we need to share before we wrap up today? I would just suggest to our listeners to keep their ears out for what may be a big, exciting announcement in the very near future. So I would just suggest to our listeners to make sure they are subscribed so that they will hear the big announcement in the very near future. Would you say that that is a correct way of starting to notify our listeners of what's about to happen? Oh, absolutely. We'll definitely be teasing you guys a little bit as that big news comes out, but we cannot wait to make that official and share that with you. So be sure to tune in, like Julia said, both on the podcast and on the Facebook page, and we'll share that information with you guys as soon as we have things solidified. All right, everyone. Well, as always, it's always a lot of fun with She Goes Outdoors podcast. We love having you join us, Jen, and all of our listeners. Um, Get outside and see what you can see this fall, and we'll see you outdoors.